Well, it's good to be with you, uh, church, as we've been uh, talking about um, what it means to be uncomfortable in our faith and in our lives and uh, the ways in which God uses that uncomfortable place um, to work in us and through us. And uh, so today is, is no different as we continue um, that theme. You've heard um, stories of Pastor Stephanie and I um, talking about what it means to be an RA in college, like a resident dad. And um, this week, over and over again, as, as we're going to talk about um, the idea of uncomfortable people, I was reminded uh, about how uncomfortable it is um, to be in college and to live in a dorm. Imagine imagine this for a second. You, have, you pull kids from all across the country, from all different places and spaces in life, and you put them in a, in a very small space, and you say, hey, live together and be nice, right? Uh, there's lots of uncomfortable moments. And uh, over and over again, um, this image kept popping in my head of this thing that we called the box. Uh, and it was this, uh, this little um, like security room that was between two dormitories. And our job as RAs was to work the box um, during the week. We, our school um, had a, a curfew. So like if you were out past like 2.30 a.m. or something like that, I don't even know when it was. Um, it, if you were out past that, you got fined. And like, if you didn't have like, if you didn't have a reason, right? If you were, you were being a hoodlum, you got fined for, for that. And so you'd have to come in and you'd have to check in. And our job was to work the box and to make sure that everybody checked in uh, so we didn't like send search and rescue for you. I guess that's what we did. And, and so we would sit in this box and this box was like living in a, in a literal fishbowl. It, it, it was just large enough to have a small love seat and you were surrounded by windows at the little sign-in thing. And you would just sit there to man the box in case somebody had a problem or in case somebody had needed medical assistance or, or whatever so people couldn't cheat and write their friend in as being in the dorm. And, and so you just had to sit there. And so I remember working the box and sitting in this bubble of a room and the people that would show up in the middle of the night to hang out with me in the box, right? People that, uh, some people that I loved and I loved to hang out with and it was awesome, but some people that just absolutely made me uncomfortable and there was no place that I could run, right? I was in the box. There was no, it was a love seat. That's all that was in there. That's all the space that we had. And, and so I remember different characters showing up in the middle of the night uh, from, uh, and all the names are changed to protect the innocent, right? Uh, from uh, Jimmy the Christian Clown. I can't even make this up, right? And then no, no offense if you're a Christian clown, that's great. You do your thing. But Jimmy was weird. He made me uncomfortable. And he would sit next to me on the couch in the box. And, uh, or uh, one kid um, who was the largest guy that I've ever shared a couch with, a small love seat with. And one night he decided that he needed somebody to talk to. And while he was talking to me, he was eating 100 chicken McNuggets. 100. And this is no exaggeration. 100 chicken McNuggets. And I, if you know me, I can't even sit next to my wife when she eats cereal. I have like the sensory thing. And so it, the smell and the sound, it was, it was too much. It was too much going on in the box, right? And so over and over again, it would be the guy that just got dumped from it. For, his girlfriend just dumped him. And so he'd come to the box to, to talk and to cry. And, and, and I was just uncomfortable in the box. And, and, and every night I worked the box was, was an uncomfortable situation because because the love seat smelled, and not just the love seat, it was everybody else that came in that, that made me feel uh, uncomfortable. From, from, from the, you know, Jimmy, the, the clown, to, to the other guy, the, the 
ate the chicken McNuggets to the crying. It was just an uncomfortable place to be with uncomfortable people. Have you been in these uncomfortable places and spaces with people that, that make you feel uncomfortable? Right? Sometimes it's not natural to spend time with, with people. Maybe you don't know them well, or, or, or maybe there, there's some weirdness going on, or, or it's just an uncomfortable thing. If you, if you have uncomfortable people in your life, you can kind of identify them um, by some ways that, that the interactions that you have with them. Um, one is if they call, you get that like sinking feeling in your stomach. You have those, like they just, you feel uncomfortable when they call, or people that you dodge when you're out and about, and don't lie, you do it. I've seen you do it, right? Or people that, that, are, that are uncomfortable that you spend time with, and they leave, and you feel like life has been sucked out of your soul, right? We all get that way, and if you don't, then you're just, you're a saint. God bless you. Right? We, all, we all have maybe people that we're just uncomfortable with, or um, I think maybe one of the, the most uh, uncomfortable experiences that I had in the box were people that I like referred to as an enemy. They didn't like me. They were actively uh, against me. When I was uh, in RA, I had this role of, if you messed up, it was my job to tell you you messed up, and I had to find you money, right? And in college, you don't have money. Um, and then I stepped into a, a, a captain's position my junior year and senior year on the football team. And so if you messed up and you were on the football team, I had a vote whether you should stay on the team or not. And I remember one time uh, a student coming in, one that we had these, these issues with and wanted to, to, to expound on why he was right and why everybody else was wrong. So the, the enemy kind of people in our lives, they make us feel uncomfortable as well. It's not a place and space that we'd actively seek to go to or actively seek to talk to these people that make us feel uncomfortable. We have, we have them in, in, in life, someone we work with or at school, or maybe they're even in our, our church where conversations with them are hard and it's difficult and it's not fun, and it's not something we'd, we'd jump into. Some people are just hard to love. And so as we continue in our series this morning, these past two weeks, we've talked about that sometimes what I want, comfort, is not what I need. And, and we'll go ahead and lay it out there. Sometimes God uses these uncomfortable places and spaces in our life um, to bring us to growth. All right. If, if, if I didn't have some of these uncomfortable things in my life, I would just stay the same because I like things the same. I ordered the same food. I do all that. I, that's just, the, that's just what, I, what I like. I don't always like uncomfortable things, but God uses those. And following Jesus is not always a comfortable experience. We talked about that last week. So today I want us to look at this idea of uncomfortable people. And what they may bring about in our lives, both good uh, and bad. And, and this idea that sometimes the person that we want God to take away from our lives, to, to get out of our lives, is the person that we need the most. The uncomfortable interactions with the uncomfortable person uh, in our lives. So if you have Bibles with you, uh, turn this morning uh, to Luke chapter 6 uh, today as we uh, dive right into uh, the words of Jesus this morning. This is a little bit of background. Um, 
Excuse me. This is from the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where Jesus is speaking um, to people. He's, he's diving in on what it looks like to, to treat one another and what it looks like to actively live uh, in, in our world, maybe with people that don't like us, that make us uncomfortable. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 27. Church, hear the word of the Lord um, this morning. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 27. It says this. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn them then to the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. The word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. Well, if you follow Jesus through the Gospels, you encounter some uncomfortable uh, things like this, but um, you also notice that he's making everybody around him completely uncomfortable. In fact, some would say that some are literally driven crazy um, because Jesus is introduced and the ideas and the things that he's doing um, in their world and around them, right? They, they have these patterns of life that they are set in, and here Jesus shows up and he like mixes up the fruit basket, so to speak. So we think about it. Jesus loves not only the Jewish people of God, but he also loves the Gentiles. The Jews did not love the Gentiles. And so that kind of throws them in a tizzy. Or Jesus shows love and compassion for the Samaritans. And the Jews hated the Samaritans, called them dogs. He loves the lepers and he reaches out to heal them. People that were cast out of the city, made to leave their families and everything. He touches them, absolutely not, no. Right? He treats women with respect. Not not common. He touches the life of the Roman centurion. Not a chance. Get away. He's the oppressor. Right? So over and over and over again, he's making people feel uncomfortable with his interactions with others. This is not an easy thing for people to watch. It seems as if Jesus is, is working his way down the list to loving everyone, the tax collectors and, and the prostitutes and the outcasts, the unlovable of the time. That over and over and over again, he's laying on the love for the unlovable uh, of this time. Over and over and over again, he's showing love and kindness to, no, to those that no one else does. And without a doubt, people are confused by the actions of Jesus. Then we get to Luke chapter 6, a part of the Sermon on the Mount, our passage for today, where Jesus comes to proclaim that it is almost, the kingdom of God is in almost every way different from the kingdom of the world. That things are, are different. We call this the upside down way, right? The, the upside down way of Jesus, that things aren't normal and the ways in which we have become accustomed to. 
The kingdom of the world says that you should love and look out for number one. That you should love those who love you and hate those that hate you. And that's how life is meant to be according to this kingdom. And we get it. Like, we, we understand that. Like, we can relate to that. Love those who love you and hate those to, that hate you. That's easy for us, right? Like, we can, we can step into that. We can, we, we, can, we can go along with that because it's, it's what, we, what we, we say naturally do. Fallen naturally, but it's natural nonetheless. Love the people that love us. Hate the people that hate us. It just feels right, right? But here's Jesus coming on the scene. He's providing us with this image of what life looks like for God's people. And we see that followers of Jesus, uh, for us, loving people who are easy to love does not give us any extra brownie points. Darn. Like, I wanted some brownie points, right? Like, loving people that are easy to love does not get us any extra points. Hating people that are easy to hate does not get us extra points. And we feel like we should maybe deserve some extra points for loving so well. My wife should absolutely deserve extra points for loving me, right? She should. She should get extra points in in an ice cream sundae or something fun like that. That we don't get we don't get extra credit for this. I love how the messages translate translate these verses. Eugene Peterson he says, "If you only love the lovable, do you expect a pat on the back? If you only love the lovable, do you expect a pat on the back? Run of the mill sinners do that. If you only help those who help you, do you expect a medal? <laughs> That's great." Congratulations on loving the people that look like you and and that you know and that love you. Good times. But here's Jesus saying, essentially, at the core of it, I want you to love people that don't love you. I want you to love people that don't love you. I want you to love the unlovable. And that just doesn't feel right. It makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? There's this old story, and I actually looked it up on snoops.com, and it was on there. It was a legend from, like, back in the 60s, I guess. But uh, it's a legend of this uh, truck driver who pulls in the, into, the, into the truck stop in the middle of nowhere in Nebraska. And if you've ever driven across that, that awful state, right? Sorry if you're from Nebraska. My family is a little bit too. Um, you'll know that there's nothing out there. So he pulls in this truck stop in the middle of the night and he sits down at the diner and he orders his cheeseburger and his fries and some coffee and, and he's there and the, and the waitress brings it to him and right when the waitress brings it to him, um, these three bikers come in the back door and, and, and they're like the, the, the Hell's Angel type bikers and if you've ever been in that situation, I spent a summer in Reno and experienced uh, some of that culture a little bit, um, you know that it's intimidating and the story goes that the three bikers walked up to his table they made themselves at home one of them grabbed a hamburger the other grabbed some fries and the third grabbed some coffee and they began to um to 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 like verbally assault the man and and just eat his food like they took space at his table um they made themselves at home they ate his food and they said that the man uh, just quietly gets up and he grabs his check and he goes to the to the to the uh the front of the 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 store the cashier he lays the money on the table and the trucker goes and walks out to the truck and the and the waitress goes and she gets the money and she puts it in the till and she's looking out out of the window watching the truck 
drive, drive by, drive out for the night. And, and the story says that she goes back to the, to the table and she um, interacts with these three biker guys. And, and one of them uh, says to her, well, he's not much of a man, is he? Right, he just walked out of the walked out of the store. Let us do that to him. He's not much of a man. And and the and the waitress replies. She says, "I don't know about that, but he sure ain't much of a truck driver. He just ran over three motorcycles on his way out of the parking lot." Right? Like it sounds like justice, right? Like and we <laughs> and we like that justice and and we like that and 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 we like that the that the guy got his payback for the dude e- eating the burger and so I asked what would you do, what would you do in that situation? You'd you'd instantly, depending on how good the burger was, right, and how snarky you were feeling that day. Right, like you might want to retaliate, or you might want to do something, and and so we we have that desire in us. Everyone else tells us that that is what we're to do, and it sounds like justice, and it feels right. Our our first instinct is to make them hurt as much as they hurt us. That's the world's answer to being wrong. But Jesus here, again, the upside down kingdom of of God, gives his followers a different response that they're to have. He tells us that we're to love our enemies, and that makes us really uncomfortable. If we we really stop to think about it, it's not a fun thing to really think about. That what matters to God and what really matters to God is us, the people of God, here and now, loving the unlovable. Not just your family, not just your friends, not just your neighbor that's really nice, not just whatever, not just people that are easy to love, but to love the unlovable, but love your enemies, do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. We don't like that. Right? Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. I think a lot of us, myself included, we write this passage off right away and we put it in the not needed file or maybe someday when I make some enemies. Right? Maybe someday when, when I make some real enemies and they're hunting me down with bows and arrows, I can pull this scripture back out and it'll apply to my life. Because it, it, none of, a lot of us won't classify as people um, that are against us as our, our enemy. No one's come at me with a bow and arrow, arrow yet, so I'm, I'm good, right? But that doesn't mean I don't have people that, that, that aren't actively against me actively talking uh, about uh, me or actively uh, against what I'm, I'm about. I, I won't have the, the, it doesn't mean that I don't have those people. It doesn't mean that you don't have those people. We're reminded of the words of Jesus that you will be persecuted because I am persecuted. So we have to expect that. But I want to broaden my enemy term or the scripture's enemy term just so that we think um, we can't take today off, right? There are no days off. I'm still in coaching mode. Forgive me, right? There are no days off. That, that, that this can mean uh, something a little bit more when we broaden that term. We may not have enemies, and we may think we don't have enemies, but we have people that are difficult. We have people that we feel like they, they, they suck the life out of us, and they make us uncomfortable, and we really don't want to be around them, and we really don't want to be around our enemy either. 
And so these uncomfortable people in life, again, maybe just for today, so we feel like we can't take today off, uh, can feel um, like they are in that category. I don't think that this passage deserves to go in the maybe someday folder. I think that it should be a maybe today folder. Because we all have people that we feel as if they are, are just unlovable. We can't get ourselves to, 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 to love them or to want to be around them. They just make us uh, uncomfortable. So how do we as, as Jesus followers love people that are hard to love? What does scripture say about this? How do we treat people that we want to uh, uh, avoid? Sometimes it's people we just don't like, or maybe it's people that really hurt us deeply, or, or maybe it is an enemy. They spread rumors about us on a regular basis, or they've taken something from us, or, or they've abused us, or, or they're fan, friends or family members that, that have wronged us. How do we as Jesus followers love people that are hard to love? A really relevant question. Jesus calls us to love those who hate us. He's, he's calling for us to do something that's totally contrary to, to what everybody else thinks is right. We, we're to, to get the revenge. That's normal. It tells us that we, can, that, that we are in these, these messes and we can lay the hammer down on the other. But, but here's Jesus and this unforgiveness and this revenge and this, this, this hate. Or, or this grudge with someone else, the reality is, is that it, it can destroy us. It can hurt us as people, as humans. It can, it can hurt us and destroy us physically and emotionally and spiritually. It can consume us. You ever had that feeling someone wrongs you and you don't want to think about them, but that's all you do, right? You can't sleep. You can't work. You can't do anything that you are consumed by this idea and this hurt that you've experienced. It's that idea that we talked about before. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Drinking poison and bottling that up and hoping that it hurts someone else. But the reality is, is that it destroys us. It's normal to do this, but normal isn't working and it's not the way of Jesus. So here's Jesus calling us, and, and remember, Jesus doesn't call us something to something that he wanted to empower us to do. So he's calling us and inviting us to walk down a different path, to walk down a path that leads not to that unforgiveness and that destroying of life, but, but leading down a path that leads to wholeness. That rather than becoming a prisoner to anger and unforgiveness and revenge, Jesus calls us and leads us uh, to, to a place where we can love the unlovable. God empowers us to do this. Not to ignore or to push out, but also to love. Back when I was in grad school, I uh, was reading a lot of uh, really big heavy books and it, and it was it was good for time but then uh, about halfway through the semester it w it became a discipline right uh, the discipline of education students know what that is all right you just have to do it you discipline yourself so that you can do it and one day i didn't remember who it is somebody uh, let me borrow uh, they gave them to me i don't think they borrowed i probably still stole them i'm confessing to you now i don't remember who it is right uh, a whole bunch of books by this uh, um, chinese christian uh, from back in the day 1920s named watchman knee 
And Watchman talked a lot about this idea of, of loving the unlovable. He tells the story of this um, a, a Christian man who had a neighbor who was a part of the uh, Communist Party. Chinese Christian man, and, and he would come out every day and he would um, flood his rice paddy, the, 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 the form of his existence, right? It fed his family, it provided income for him, and, and so he would flood his rice paddy and he would, he would block off the, 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 the irrigation so it would stay in his, in his rice paddy so that it would grow the rice, right? And so after he would do this, he'd pump, he'd pump, he'd pump, he'd get all this water, he'd flood the paddy, and right after he was done, every day, his neighbor would come out and kick out the boards that were holding up this water in his paddy so that it would flood his rice paddy and so his rice would have water. And so day after day after day, the man would wake up and he'd pump his water and he'd flood his paddy. The neighbor would come out, he'd kick out the boards. It would flood the neighbor's rice paddy. All that work that this guy did was going to the neighbor. Imagine how frustrating that would be, Right? Like that would be an incredibly frustrating uh, situation. And so day after day and finally fed up, he prays to, to God. He says, Lord, if this keeps going, I'm going to lose all my rice. I'm going to lose everything. I'm going to lose everything that, that I have. What do I do? Like, how do I respond to this guy that is absolutely unlovable? This, this one that is, that is using me and is, 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 is coming out every morning after I do all this work and taking all of my water, what do I do? It says that the Lord responded to him by, by, by leading him to this thought and empowering him to do it. So the next morning, the Christian man got up early and he started pumping his water. But rather than, than damming up the place that, so, so it would stay in his field, he, he took that out and he pumps the neighbor's water first. So, so it would flood his rice paddy. And then after he did all that work, he'd take a little break and then he would finally pump his. It doubled his, his daily effort. It doubled his daily work, but he, he just, that was the only thing that, that God was calling him to do. And he would, he would be in this place where he said, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm, I'm working for this guy. I just want, want to do it. But he, he disciplined himself. He, he walked down that path. And so every morning he'd, he'd pump the water, he'd pump the water, he'd pump the water, he'd get his neighbors done. And then he'd pump it some more and he'd get his done. And, and, and over time, after this, this man got er, up early and early and early and early and flooded both rice paddies. It, it became a, a productive place and, and both of their crops were, were growing and, and, and things were a little bit better. And the, and the man that, 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 that would steal from him every day began to soften towards him. First it became little gestures, and then it became big gestures. And these two men became friends. And eventually, this man who, who stole from him every day became a follower of Jesus. And not because some traveling missionary came through town, not because any of that, but because his neighbor pumped his water for him and showed love to him, even when he wasn't doing very lovable things. Now, there are some instances in life where there is ample opportunity for revenge. I, John, I think I have, a, or Eric, I think I have a picture up there of a fence um, that I saw this week, right? There's ample opportunity for revenge. Now, your neighbor says, hey, Steve, how about you paint your fence, right? And you come out and say, I'll paint my fence. I painted my fence, Bob, 
<laughs> and some of us may be even snarky enough to do this, right? <laughs> and I know some of you. There you go. Amen. We've got an amen. But there's ample opportunity for revenge. There's always opportunity for revenge. Even in this situation, right? He could, he could go out and kick his board and the water would just flow on down the stream or, or he could do something different. There's ample opportunity for revenge, but through the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, there's ample opportunity to love the unlovable. There's ample opportunity to love the, the unlovable. And it might call us to give our lives away so that others might know Jesus as the guy's pumping the water into the rice paddy every morning, not for himself, but for the other first. But remember, without Jesus, there is, there is no different way. Without God's activity in our life, there is, there is no different way. The, the anger and the frustration will remain. You think things are going to get better between Bob and his neighbor? No. The life is, is, is there. That things will continue in anger and frustration. But yet, with the power of Jesus and through the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the, the anger and the frustration dissipate, and life is turned upside down. Where times where we think, and now I'm preaching to myself, isolation is the answer. Without anything different, everything remains the same. The frustration and the distance and the negativity remain the same. And some of us have even become prisoners in our home, own home because we hate our neighbors. I watch this acted out in my own family. Without Jesus, the, everything remains. The brokenness remains. Without God, we would be stuck. We think in our heads we know what to do differently. We think that it'll all work out in the end, and we have the right things to say. But if you've been in situations like that, where someone is, is unlovable, you know that the right things to say aren't always the right answers. Without God, we would be stuck. We can't muster it up on our own. You can't love people enough on your own with your great ideas to get the job done. But when we're empowered, when God enables us to love our enemy and love our neighbor, who is not the nicest fellow, and paint our fence for Bob without being snarky about it, when God empowers us to volunteer to fill in for the mean coworker that drives you nuts or to care for someone who's caused you pain, when we're empowered to love the unlovable, God brings about restoration to broken things. God brings about restoration to broken relationships, to broken living situations, restoration to the normal way of operation. God brings about restoration in our world and in us. God's restoration is a beautiful thing to watch. And, and a lot of times, it looks like this. God's restoration is a beautiful thing. A lot of times, it, 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 we're here and we're grasping on or we're ready to fight or, or we're whatever, you fill in the blank. But a lot of times, it comes down to God's restoration looking like this that I'm going to let go of the pain and I'm going to let go of the anger, God enabling me to do so. And I'm going to let go of the grudge, 
right? I'm going to let go of, of, of the hurts or, or whatever it is. And, and God allows me uh, these things that I thought that I never could let go. Right? There are little instances. Some of us in this room today have really small things that are just silly. But some of us have really big things that, that need God's power for, for us to let go. So when we come about and, and God continues to work, these things that we never thought that we could let go, we see God's restoration coming in these ways through these uncomfortable people teaching us moment by moment, action by action, empowering us to live. And, and little by little, we begin to let go. And what happens when we, we let go is a, is a beautiful, beautiful thing that we're open to receive from God. When I, when I, when I stop drinking the poison and hoping the other person dies, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit healthier, right? When I stop hating the other and I'm open to, to allowing God's movement in my life, I'm a little bit healthier, when I see the other person's face, it becomes uh, not an opportunity to hate more or to bash more or to, 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 to not want to be around anymore, but then it becomes an opportunity to forgive again and to let go a little bit more. I'm healthier. That these uncomfortable people, the person that we, we've cried out that, that God would take away, may be the person that, that has the, helps us to have the breakthrough. It may be the person that, that I needed the most, that, that God through this situation might teach me to let go. Seriously, look what Jesus is doing here. Think about it this way. He's teaching the people. He's shaping their hearts and minds as they sit down on the mountainside. And he asks them, who are your enemies? Who, who are your enemies? Who are these people that make you feel so uncomfortable in, in, in life? Who, who are the uncomfortable people in your life? All right, now everybody got them in your mind? Let's continue. Now, what can you do to actively seek their good? That's what he's saying, right? It's not a normal practice. We don't do this on TV, even if you are a doctor. You've got your enemies, they're there. Now what can you do to seek their good, the Holy Spirit enabling you? How can you bless them? Not a normal question. You continue, how can you pray for them? This is the way that Jesus is training his disciples to think, that not how I can get my revenge, but how can I, how can I love? How can I be moved by the Holy Spirit to, to not be like everybody else, but to follow Jesus in all things? And Jesus knows it's going to be hard. He, he knows that the cultural narrative of your life and, and of this world is to love your friends and hate your enemies. That's why he, he addresses it. You have heard it said. You live like that. This is normal, but I tell you, and he invites us to walk down this path. He directs our intention to, to God and God's characteristic who overflows in compassion and mercy and love and forgiveness. But he knows it'll be so, so hard for us. He knows that it's not just one thing. Like sometimes I think we come to church and we think, I'm going to leave and I'm just going to have it all figured out and it'd be awesome. And it's just that one thing. But this is a life full of things. 
It's discipleship. It's walking down the path again and again and again. He knows that it'll be so difficult, so hard for us to believe, and so hard for us to grasp that he doesn't just talk about it on a mountainside, but he shows it on a cross. He doesn't just talk about it in, in, in these terms and have us do these, these imagining who, who, who is our enemy and who hates us and who makes us uncomfortable, but he takes action and he shows it, spreading his arms open on the cross and to offer God's loving embrace to people that are unlovable at times. And that would be me and you maybe. It's crazy. God's love is one that shows us this action day in and day out. They believe that the message at the end says, this is what Jesus is like, so you do the same. This is what the the love of God is like, so let's display the same. As our band comes and and helps us uh, uh, worship today, and as our our pastors come to help uh, us to participate in communion, I'm reminded of the life change that happened in the box. And that place and space where I was just so uncomfortable (laughs) in so many different ways. Those people that taught me what it meant to be patient or taught me how to, how to listen, or, or taught me what it was to have compassion for real-life struggles that weren't like mine, or allowed me to see behind the anger that they were displaying and to see that it was for self-protection. People that, that made me uncomfortable so that I might look beyond myself and my own feelings, or, or even those who, who, who taught me what it meant to, to love my enemy and have compassion for them. How to love the unlovable. Jesus it taught me with this time in the box that I am the unlovable at times. And yet he loves me, showing his mercy again and again and again. Last part of our verse says this, I tell you, love your enemies, help and give without expecting a return. You'll never, I promise, regret it. Live out this God-created identity. The way of our Father lives out this out towards us, generously, and graciously, even when we're at our worst. Our Father is kind, so you be kind also. As we come to communion today, may we remember the love of Christ, the generosity that is on display for us. Come and receive. Dear Lord, we thank you for the ways in which you lead us. And Lord, we pray that you would actively uh, show us the, your paths. There might be some things that uh, you're calling us to let go. There might be some people um, that you're calling us to forgive. There might be some enemies um, that you're calling us to love. And so, Lord, we pray that you would continue to lead us because we know without a doubt that we cannot do it on our own. It just won't happen. 
So we ask for your Holy Spirit to empower us, to, to show us. May you give us, uh, give us eyes and hearts that are open to, to see and to uh, know what you desire from us. Lord, we pray that you would soften hearts all around, um, that we would be your people day in and day out. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand to receive the benediction, the blessing as we go today. Read again from uh, our passage from the message version. It says, I tell you, love your enemies, help and give without expecting a return. You'll never, I promise, regret it. Live out this God-created identity the way our Father lives towards us, generously and graciously, even when we're at our worst. Remember, our Father is kind, so you be kind also. May you go in action and go in peace. You are dismissed.